Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port here on The Rob Report on WDAY. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. You can email me too, talk at WDAY.com. You can even send me a tweet at Rob Port during the show. It's like Friday for me today, Natil. Yeah, don't rub it in. Took a little bit of vacation for the uh, the last two days of this week, and and that actually works out for the radio show because tomorrow uh, we're preempted. We've got a little bit of uh, sports action going on. That's going to start at one o'clock. Little the, uh, bit. Spuds. Come on, man! It's Spuds hockey in the state Spuds. tournament. That's right. It it is a big deal. So that's going to be on the show. On the you won't be hearing me. You'll be hearing that. And that starts at uh, well, right when this show starts, one o'clock. So yes, sir. Tune in for that. And then Friday, uh, former Lieutenant Governor Drew Wrigley is actually going to be sitting in for me, and uh, I think he's going to talk about health care uh, and some other issues. But yeah, he'll be uh, he'll be sitting in and uh, and doing that uh, on Friday. So tune in for that. Uh, and by the way, speaking of health care, today we have uh, Congressman Kevin Kramer on the uh, on the show at one thirty. I want to ask him some questions about this obamacare plan or or the the repeal and replace or whatever you want to call it that that house republicans have come out with uh we'll talk about that with him we'll ask him those questions and of course your questions that's the priority if you want to ask him questions if you want to make a comment you could certainly do that call in email however you want to do it and uh, we'll get those questions to him and get them answered but joining me right away is jason floors he is the uh, state director for both the North Dakota and Minnesota chapters of Americans for Prosperity, also the former head of the North Dakota Republican Party. And uh, Jason, he had a guest post on the blog yesterday about Senate Bill 2298, and it is a bill addressing the Internet sales tax, which is an issue that's been lingering for quite some time. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court, in a case that North Dakota was actually involved in, it was Quill versus the state of North Dakota was the case, Uh the Supreme Court has held that states may not exact a sales tax on businesses that do not have a physical presence in that state. That is the guiding law of the land today, but there's a bill to address it in the legislature. Jason, thanks for the time, and tell us what the legislature is trying to do. Yeah, Rob, happy to join you today. What Senate Bill 2298 would do is ramp up enforcement of the existing sales tax that we already have on online purchases that individual consumers in North Dakota owe, but instead of going to the consumer, they're actually putting this burden on outstate um, sellers on the Internet, outstate providers. And that's the unconstitutional part, because what it's going to do is try to impose North Dakota law on businesses that don't have that physical footprint here. North Dakota tried that in 1992, and the Quill Doctrine has been the law of the land since then. So many states across the nation are are trying to wrap their hands around this. Some, like Minnesota, are just content to tax those that have a physical presence in the state. Amazon comes to mind with a big distribution center there. Um, But this law in North Dakota really goes a step beyond that and would put every business across the country on the hook for complying with and following and adjusting to any change in, in North Dakota tax law. That seems like a nightmare, given the number of options that you can engage. I mean, just think of all the different places you could buy stuff on the Internet. I mean, it's not just Amazon, right? I mean, it's not just a few 
retailers, I mean, it's it's a lot of different things. So absolutely, and you know, and, and, an organization and, and, like like Amazon right. or or even um, some other, some of the other big retailers, you know, they're probably going to be able to find a way to deal with this. They've got enough in their technology and sales right. and legal departments. They'll develop that product. But think of all the small businesses around the country that are going to have to comply with if this uh, Quill Doctrine was overturned, as, as the authors of this bill would like it to be. Think of the 10,000 different taxing jurisdictions that some little mom-and-pop shop in, in North Dakota or Minnesota will suddenly have to try to comply with across the country. They don't have those, the resources to be able to do that. So it's really going to be a dampening effect on interstate commerce, and, and that's why the, right. the Commerce Clause in the Constitution gets invoked here. Well, it seems to me like there's a lot of gray area, too, because in North Dakota law, if I'm selling something at a garage sale or I'm selling something on – an online forum or something like that, you know, maybe I'm selling old desk or something through Facebook. I don't have to collect the sales tax, right? Cause I'm not a retailer, but then you go to something like eBay and a lot of people, you know, I, it, it becomes a gray area. So now it's like, you know, okay, so I sold my desk on, on eBay, but now what if I start a business, you know, selling what, I mean, it, it just seems like there's so many gray areas. It's so many variables that, that administering this thing is going to be a nightmare. Right. It's almost impossible. And, and again, that's that really going to impact those small businesses. Now, most of the focus from the authors of this bill is trying to protect small business in North Dakota and protect Main Street in, in North Dakota. And, and I understand that. But what this does, it doesn't level the playing field. It creates an extra burden on those out-of-state retailers that really opens up North Dakota to uh, retaliation. I mean, just think of what an activist legislature in California could do in terms of not only taxes, but, but think bigger here. Think about labeling requirements. Think of uh, organic certification. Think of any number of things that, that California may want to do that their state might value that if we overturn Quill could apply and open the door to having an impact on North Dakota businesses. It seems interesting to me, and by the way, we're talking about Senate Bill 2298. It, it attempts to implement an Internet sales tax. Uh, and it's it introduced by Senator Dwight Cook, a Republican from Mandan. I, I, it's interesting to me that the state of North Dakota is doing this because we won really a, a, a years-long legal fight with the state of Minnesota over that state's attempt to implement or, or enforce their their green energy policies across right. the border. That That was North Dakota's argument, is that the Interstate Commerce Clause makes that illegal. Minnesota can regulate power in their state but they can't regulate the power that we're shipping into their state that's unconstitutional right. and north dakota won that case but now here we have the states standing up and saying well you know we want to we want to apply the north dakota sales tax to a business that really has no presence in the state of north dakota how is that constitutional and, and in your piece you you actually there's a contingent effective date how are they getting around the constitutional issues or how are they trying to well, they're, they're not. I mean, part of the reason to bring this bill forward is the authors are trying to uh, bring another challenge um, that would reverse Quill. Now, okay, they can do that if they want to. The original bill language that you referenced had an effective date that basically said this is effective once it's constitutional, once the Supreme Court issues an opinion overturning Quill or otherwise confirmed that a state may constitutionally do this. Now, number one, I don't think we should be passing legislation that has a hypothetical effective date some day in the future. That, that's, uh, I think, a little ridiculous. And they did change that. The current bill has an effective date 
um, you know, similar to other legislation a few months out. But the authors of the bill did acknowledge fully that this is a problem. This is unconstitutional. And they want this to go to a court. The problem is there's already multiple states that are fighting something like this, whose court cases are already in the system and much farther along. South Dakota, um, very similar language, has a very good chance of getting kicked up to the Supreme Court for reconsideration. Alabama's moving one. Tennessee just barely got started on this. So, again, why is North Dakota going to go through the burden of starting to implement this, hiring people to implement it, doing whatever we have to do when one of these other court cases is going to get to the Supreme Court first, and likely be overturned. Let me play it's devil's just a waste advocate. Waste of taxpayer dollars. Let me. I, I agree with you. Let me. Let me play devil's advocate here, though, for a moment. What about the people who say that it is not fair that they're running some sort of a business in our state and they're competing with businesses that don't have to charge the same tax that they do? I shop at a bookstore here in Minot. That is. Is I mean, they are so aggressive about it. They get a little upset if they see you browsing on your phone when you're walking up and down the aisles because they think that you might be ordering books that you see in their store on Amazon. Now, of course, Amazon has to collect the sales tax because they have a physical presence in North Dakota. But, you know, that's their argument is this is a, this is unfair that those businesses have to pay the sale, have to collect the sales tax. But these businesses from out of state that are selling into the state through the Internet do not. How do you respond to that argument? is is that it's the attempt to have the other business in the other state collects this tax which is the unconstitutional part now the individual who's shopping in your bookstore and then goes and turns around and and buys that book on ebay from a small business seller in florida let's say they when they bring that book in they do under current north dakota law owe a sales and use tax for that but the legislature here instead of trying to enforce that on the individual is putting this burden on outstate businesses. And, and it's really a, a long way around. They don't want to, I don't think, raise taxes on, on individuals, though that's exactly what increasing a sales tax would do. I don't care well, who it's implemented on. The end user pays it. Right. But they're going around that, so it's, it fits into that fairness argument of, well, we're just doing this to a business right. that isn't even here, so taxpayers in North Dakota should be okay with it. Well, how would the taxpayers how, how, in North Dakota are still going to pay it right. at the end of the day? And, yeah. in fact, they're already legally obligated to pay it. Yeah, I mean, technically, a lot of people don't know that. Technically, if you order something on the Internet and you didn't pay a sales tax, you are obligated to remit that. Now, that doesn't get enforced because how in the world would the state of North Dakota do that? Are they going to start checking all your mail? Are they going to have FedEx and UPS run all the shipments by them, you know, so they could see what's in the packages and what was bought and for right. how much and then, you know, assess the tax? It's, that's and a there tough are some thing. potential workarounds in, 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 the, in terms of this. I mean, think of how much e-commerce is done with a Visa card or a MasterCard. Well, maybe we should be working with those kind of providers to help track some of that purchasing if we want to enforce and collect more sales tax from North Dakotans. Now, the other problem with this bill is that if you look at the fiscal note, they're not saying they're going to collect any more money. The, they may result in additional taxes being collected if there's no challenge to the law, but they say, and I quote, it cannot be computed. So it, it can't be a substantial amount of money if our own tax department can't even put their finger on, on how much it would be. So we're going to implement yeah. new tax policy or inf new enforcement of tax policy without knowing what it's going to cost to implement, without knowing how much revenue it's going to bring in. I mean, that's just bad tax policy, just on those two statements alone. Okay, well, I have 
that's it's very interesting. It passed this bill passed the Senate, the state Senate, forty four to one. Uh, I see uh, it had a, wait, the committee hearing was today. Give us real quick what what happened at the committee hearing today. Well, I think there was good discussion at the committee hearing today, and it centered around uh, some of these issues that that we've talked about. Uh, I think the the real impetus for bringing this forward is this protecting North Dakota Main Street argument. And I understand that. I'm from a tiny little small town in, in southern Minnesota. I grew up there. The, the problem is, is that just this sales tax on Internet purchases, that isn't going to put a – that's not going to dampen e-commerce. Look at how it's yeah. grown. We're not going to the Internet to save sales tax. We're going there for convenience, for options, for all these bigger macroeconomic-type kinds of reasons. So yeah. there was good discussions about it at committee. They didn't take action today. I think the committee's probably a little bit split, knowing that, again, this is unconstitutional under current law, and that there's already challenges being brought forward. So our hope is that they wait and don't implement a bill like this until some of those legal challenges in other states, um, until those results are clear. Well, we'll see what happens. Jason, thanks for your time. Absolutely, Rob. Anytime. It's Jason Flores with Americans for Prosperity. I'm Rob Port. This is the Rob Report. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Feet above the city where I fell in love with you. And the country skyline brings an urban lullaby to still ring. Welcome back, Rob Report. 701-293-9000, Went a little long with Jason there, so we'll have a short segment here. Then we'll be back with Congressman Kevin Kramer. Nathiel, I'm getting ripped on, on my blog. Uh-oh, what'd you do? I came out in favor of uh, ending the parking meter ban in this state. A lot oh, of people. People, people are not happy about that, Rob. I think it's a good idea. And it turns out Governor Doug Burgum's kind of the man behind it. Um, it was Senator Jessica Unruh, who is a Republican from Beulah over here in western North Dakota, introduced it. Uh, but she had been asked to do so by Governor Burgum. And I, and I understand why Governor Burgum is doing it. I think it would be good for downtown areas. You know, par- parking is a challenge downtown. And it, it's, some of the some of the parking complaints people have are people that just don't want to walk a couple of blocks. And that's a little unreasonable but on on the other hand it, it is a problem i mean it can be tight worrying about getting tickets and stuff is is tough parking meters i think can can increase turnover in in parking make more parking available there's all sorts of cool things they could do with them i mean you could you could connect them to the internet now to where you know you could actually make it so that you know it would send information to an app telling you where there's open spaces i mean there's all sorts of cool stuff you can do with them today I think it's good policy. I, I hope they pass it. I, I think a lot of people are thinking, you know, oh, it's just another tax or whatever. But if that, that's that to me is in the implementation, you know, if, if the city implements it, then maybe what they ought to do is, is use that to defray the cost of, I don't know, maintaining the roads downtown. Right. I mean, use it to offset revenues that the city's already collecting so that it's not a new tax. But I fundamentally, I think if, if, if people want to develop downtown areas, it's a good policy. I don't disagree with you um, in that I think that having a, a ban on parking meters is probably not the way to go about it. But I don't want to see downtown Fargo become overrun with parking meters. I think parking meters would make a great addition to the downtown parking sure. um, options. 
but like right now there are, I like the, the small places where I can just, you know, park on, on a side street. And I know I've only got a half hour to 90 minutes, depending on which street it is to be there. But if I'm just running into one store and then back out or picking something up or what have you, that, that works for me. And but it's if, not, it, we should keep in mind, it's not just about, not, not that you were saying this, it's not just about Fargo. I mean, this is a statewide policy. Oh, no absolutely. State, but, you know, no, my, no city in the state can implement the policy. Yeah, so my, my experiences, however, are only in the Fargo-Moorhead area. Right, sure, <laughs> sure. I understand that. Um, but, um, but if there were parking meters that were, you know, on part of Broadway and I could spend a whole day downtown and just from my app while I'm walking around downtown or using one of the bike share bikes or whatever sure. to continually like throw another couple dollars at my parking meter right then i wouldn't feel like i have to plan my whole day out so rigidly based on where i'm able to to park park. right and and also if you just want to move use a space for 15 minutes you know that the fact that that you have to pay is probably going to make you use that time more efficiently right like if you have an you know i don't know like an hour-long parking exactly I i don't know if that's the case at fargo but it's it's sub places if you're paying for that time it's going to move you along a little quicker, and then maybe you get out more efficiently, and somebody else can use that space. Well, and people I mean, in... It's, oh, I'm sorry. No, it, well, it's, it's congestion pricing. I mean, it's a principle of the free market. I think, it, I think it works. I think it's worth deploying. Well, and in this part of the state, in Fargo especially, people have to remember that this is not going to be the only option for parking in downtown Fargo because there right. are currently parking ramps being built. Yeah. Like, even, if, even, in this, even if this ban goes away... You're still going to have the parking ramps and all of that that are going up that we've been fighting for for how long? Yeah. Well, it's an interesting debate, but I don't know. I, I think the people having this knee-jerk response, you know, oh, it's a tax. Oh, I'll never go. D-. By the way, the people saying I'll never go downtown again, you remind me of the people who get mad at something I write, and they tell me they're never going to read me again. And then next week, you tell me the exact same thing. I get it week after week from some people. I'm done with you, Port. And I'm like, all right. People love to hate, Rob. See you next week. <laughs> all right. Congressman Kevin Kramer coming up next. We'll be right back. Well, I found her out in Baltimore. She never tried to show me the dog. Welcome back. Rob Port here on WDAY. 701-293-9000. 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com or send me a tweet at Rob Port. My guest right now, Congressman Kevin Kramer. It's our weekly open phone segment. So any comments or questions you want to uh, direct his way, you certainly can. And uh, by the way, speaking of Twitter, Kevin, one right off the bat, talking about Obamacare, which I'm sure you're hearing plenty about right now. Uh, Eric asks, yeah, Eric says, uh, ask him why he thinks it's a good idea to attack Rand Paul for voicing concerns about ACA replacement. Well, he'd have to be a little more clear on that. I haven't attacked Rand Paul at all. I did reference today uh, on a previous show Rand Paul's stunt of going to a, a, a office in the basement of the Capitol with cameras and a photocopier pretending that there was a secret bill under lock and key was just that it was the stuff that um, was the stuff of gadflies, not of of uh, serious members of Congress, and it backfired on him. I think he'd have to admit it didn't come out very well. Um, but there are serious conservatives who have concerns about uh, the bill we're dealing with, although I'm, you know, I'm on the Committee of Jurisdiction, and we're having a hearing. We've been in uh, markup pretty much all day, and uh, liberals' heads are exploding over this uh, 
this replacement bill that puts more power in the hands of patients and states and uh, and takes the bureaucracy out of it, eliminates mandates and taxes and penalties and uh, and uh, puts the markets in charge. So um, I think as conservatives watch what the left is uh, complaining about, they're going to find that this bill is probably, uh, while not perfect, uh, closer to uh, closer to what they want. There is definitely a lot of concern out there. I was reading Megan McArdle in Bloomberg, who is a very outspoken, sort of libertarian-minded critic of Obamacare. Right. She says uh, it will not, for example, make the looming possibility of a death spiral in the individual market any less possible, and indeed may make it more likely. And I, I think there she's referring to the fact that we are living, leaving in place some of the stuff like pre-existing conditions and whatnot. Well, I mean, what do you make of those concerns? Is this something that's going to need to be tweaked? Well, it, it may very well be tweaked. I think one of the things that some people are ignoring, and I think Senator Paul, frankly, has ignored this, at least in his discussion of, of the topic, and that is we are dealing only with budget reconciliation. That is to say the filibuster-proof 51-vote margin, which prohibits us from dealing with a lot of the specific policies and only allows us to deal with revenue and spending. So we can deal with the taxes. We can deal with um, penalties. We can deal with uh, spending, the, the spending side of it. So in, in my committee, it's the Medicaid piece. But with regard to the individual markets, um, the individual markets are in a death spiral. I mean, that, that's a given. A third of our, our uh, counties in this country are down to one um, provider or, or one company. Uh, in some cases, um, there are none. And, and what we're trying to do is save that individual market. I mean, Aetna's you know, got out, as you know, um, and uh, the blues are, are, are still in, in in many places, but it's really, really on a death spiral already. So we're trying to save that individual market. We're, one of the things we're doing, and we're able to do this not in my committee, but in ways it means, is create some tax equity for individual market and small, you know, business market that's similar to or at least equal to the, you know the sort of the corporate market. You know, employer health care plans are tax deductible, but individuals are not. That that has never made sense. Uh, I think the area, though, Rob, that a lot of conservatives, and Megan may be one of them, are concerned about is the fact that we do shift, while well, we shift the, uh, uh, eliminate the, the mandate, uh, the, um, uh, the exchange part of it for um, tax credits, refundable tax credits for the safety net. Um, at least the refundable tax credits, which has been a Republican idea for years, and we've used that really for decades and other things, including the, uh, including the, um, uh, you know, the low-income tax credit that we use in the tax code, the, the income tax code, is that it at least allows patients to choose, which creates a market. Um, with regard to, you did mention, Megan, that she mentioned, you mentioned last week as well, Rob, what of, what of the um, pre-existing conditions? We do put a discipline for that into the, to our bill so that you can't gain the system. I think that was the example you used last week was, you know, what prevents somebody from, buying insurance after they're sick and then getting off of it. We do have uh, a, a discipline that requires, um, you know, consecutive care, consecutive, you know, continuous coverage so that people can't do that. Now, there are extenuating circumstances in people's lives where they might have to drop it for a, a month or two. And we provide for that. We also provide some waivers. But most, a lot of that's at the state level where it belongs, where states can make those calls and those decisions for the programs rather than just allow people to wait until they get sick and then, and then buy insurance. So, um, again, not perfect, but certainly more, far more conservative than Obamacare. Senator uh, Tom Cotton saying on uh, MSNBC on, on Morning Joe 
Uh, I think we're moving a little bit too quickly on health care reform. This is a big issue. We're going to live with health care reform we pass forever or until it's changed in the far distant future. Uh, so I don't think we need to introduce legislation on Monday and have one change to amend it on Wednesday. Uh, is that? I mean, do you think that's fair? Do we need to slow this down a little bit? I, I, I don't think it is. I mean, let's remember, we, we ran on this package um, in the last election, and when I say we, at least House Republicans did, our Better Way agenda had all of the things that we're that are now in our bill were in that agenda. Uh, I handed out hundreds of copies of the little booklet as I campaigned throughout the summer and fall with with every idea. Not not every idea makes it into the bill, and um, because there were some you know forty nine or forty eight or forty nine different bills that were part of that Better Way agenda. But a lot of these things that we talked about are exactly the things we talked about throughout the campaign. Also. At least in the committee I'm on, we've had dozens of oversight hearings on what's wrong with the Affordable Care Act and where it was going and, you know, what needs to be fixed. Uh, There's a long track record of the last six years of establishing, um, you know, a a strong basis and a strong record for why we're doing what we're doing. So I think it's a little bit unfair. I do think Senator Cotton, you know, like several others, have taken some heat. Um, as you know, there's no, nobody is as vocal as somebody who's opposed to you, and um, I get that. I've faced that myself. But I'm also pleased, Rob, by some some of the things, for example, at the town hall that I had in Fargo, some of the specific um, heart, you know, sort of heart wrenching examples from people on Medicaid expansion. Um, we covered in this bill, much to the chagrin of some people. You know, we actually don't pull that rug out from under anybody. Uh, we literally let anybody that's on Medicaid expansion today. And, stay, you know, as long as they have continuous coverage, they, they'll be covered at the expanded rate with the larger federal share uh, as long as they need it. It's, it's never pulled out from under them. Again, it's expensive, but it is part of the deal that we're, we're making with the American people. we got a caller, Scott, with a question. Go ahead, Scott. Hi, guys. Say, I was wondering, hey, you know, well, we all support our vets and everything. Do you think sure. Congress and everybody else would be willing to go on, like, TRICARE? The same as the vets get. Yeah, of... great, great question. Yeah, great, great question, Scott. Seriously, with regard, though. Yeah, no, I, I would they. I doubt that they they would. Um, I doubt that they would. Although I will tell you, it's funny. We just had this. Um, we just had this discussion in in the uh, committee on Obamacare. One of the Democratic members stated that they uh, that their health care, their Obamacare, is working very well. To which I said. I know my rates went up 300 percent, but I'm on Obamacare as an act of solidarity with my constituents who are forced to be on Obamacare, even though I don't have to be. Um, and I've never supported it. With regard to TRICARE, what I think we ought to do is we ought to take veteran care and it ought to be the exact same as um, as the best system that we have. And whether it's a Medicare style or whether it's else, we, we ought to give them. That's where choice comes in. We ought to give them choice. And that's how we ought to cover it. We have a. I want to switch gears here a little bit. We had a, an issue where, where the House passed a what's what's called a, a CRA, which was a Congressional Review Act, uh, a resolution yeah. basically to uh, limit or, or to roll back an Interior Department rule aimed at limiting methane emissions from oil and gas operations. That has gone to the Senate. Obviously, a very important piece of policy for the state of North Dakota. It's been upheld in the Senate. Uh, one of our senators, Heidi Heitkamp, apparently, according to reports I'm reading still on the fence can you give us an update on the progress i mean i, I know you're in the house not the senate yeah. but yeah. i mean how does that well, look we, yeah we did first of all that 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 regulation was a midnight regulation by the obama administration putting blm in charge of something the epa and states already have 
jurisdiction over. It is, it's very, very hard on, on our oil and gas industry and the jobs that it creates. It is a rule aimed right at North Dakota. There is, there is no question Barack Obama and MVP and BLM had North Dakota in mind when they did this rule. There are 49 senators that support it. They need a 50th senator. Some Republicans oppose it. Susan Collins is one of them um, from New England area, of course, um, Lindsey Graham. But um, we need a 50th vote to see it over the finish. I see that Lynn Helms and his director's cut this week um, is calling for North Dakotans to call their senators or calling for oil producers around the country to call their senators to get them to vote for the CRA to repeal that awful, awful rule. Are, are we? I mean, if we if we just need, we need one more, have you had any conversations with Senator Heitkamp? I mean, if we need one more senator to move that forward, where's she at? Yeah, I have not. I have not had a conversation with her um, on it personally. Uh, I'm. I've talked to many producers and uh, the, the three affiliated tribes leadership and others that have have talked to her, um, and they've gotten mixed signals about it. But that's that's up to her. I, my guess, and this is strictly political, Robin, it's my guess is, is that she'll vote for it. And what I think it's time to do is I think it is time for Mitch McConnell to call the vote. Bring it to the floor and vote. You know, they like to have 50 affidavits signed by senators saying they're going to vote for it. But sometimes you just have to call the vote, put people on the record, because I suspect if they call that vote, there'll be well over 50, at least 51 or 52 senators that'll vote for it. It's just that it seems like people want to cast the safe vote. They, they'll be the 49th vote. There'll be the 51st vote, but nobody wants to be on record as the 50th vote um, because, of course, it costs them political capital somewhere. But in the case of this one, this is a layup for anybody from an oil producing state. Uh, and we have a uh, an emailer, uh, well, asking about, we've had this the last few weeks, Alps National Concealed Carry coming. Yes, we have. And, and, <laughs> and I have yet to see Bob Goodlatte. And I will tell you, everybody right now, this week, I expect to be up all night tonight, perhaps all night tomorrow night doing roll call um, votes. You can probably hear that I'm in the, I'm in the chamber right now or in the cloakroom where we're doing some, uh, some voting. But um, my committee is going to be marking up one amendment after another in, uh, on the Obamacare replacement. But I am going to continue to try and get to Chairman Goodluck and find out what this plan is for that bill. I'm all for it. I'm a co-sponsor. All right. We'll stay tuned for that. Uh, anything else? we got about yeah. a minute left. No, I think we got covered. But just I, I would really ask people to pay very close attention to what's going on on this Obamacare repeal and replace. I think many people who oppose it, both from the conservative side and the liberal side, and there are people on both sides, when you look at on balance, I think you'll like what you see. And to many of the people that were at my town hall in Fargo that raised concerns about having their children taken off of Medicaid expansion, that does not happen in this bill. It does not happen. In fact, um, I expect some conservative amendments that likely won't pass, but they will try to... to um, shrink that effort a little bit, but we have made that commitment that we're not going to pull people off um, who sure. continue to have coverage under that. And uh, we don't, but, but the standard will change three years from now for, for the expansion. We don't have a lot of time left, but I want to seek Bob in here quick. He's got a question. Go ahead, sure. Bob. Hey, Bob. Yes, I was wondering, do you know anything about this uh, electronic onboard recorders that we're going to have to put in all of our commercial trucks for over-the-road trucks? I, I, I actually do, Bob, and I think it's it's one of those things, it's a rule, it's a finalized rule um, from the last administration. We're trying to get a delay of the implementation of it. And it's, it's something that, what I have concerns about, Bob, and maybe you and I have talked about this even, is that I think that those things aren't foolproof yet. And 
also they're very expensive. I, I assume you're a truck driver, but for small operators, it's a very expensive thing that I think is unnecessary. Uh, while I'm all for technology that makes us more efficient and productive, uh, I don't think we're quite there on, on this particular um, measuring matter. Well, Congressman Kramer, thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk with you next week. Thanks, Rob. Bye-bye. I'm Rob Port. Uh, we'll wrap things up right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Jay Thomas show coming up next. Uh, he's going to have on, you know, that cat killer, uh, Natil, who's been all over the news. Yes, sir. Uh, Jay's going to have on the lady who started the petition to demand uh, that he gets the maximum penalty. That's going to join him at three o'clock uh, or she's going to join him at three o'clock. She's I don't know why I said it that way. Um, <laughs> and also uh, Minnesota Representative Paul Marquardt, Marquardt come I'm all over the place. Representative Paul Marquardt at 205 to talk about the Minnesota Real ID driver's licenses and oh driver's licenses that just for a mess. illegal immigrants in Minnesota. Yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be on the show. Uh, also, I, I had some thoughts. I, I know that as a as a male, I'm feminists don't consider my point of view welcome. But the day without women thing, I think, is counterproductive. A lot of women staying home from work today. I, man, I don't know. It seems to me that if you want to join, and I say this as a as a brother and a father and a husband and a son, if you want to prove your worth, show up to work, work harder, right? Don't don't withhold your money, spend your money. Don't spend your money. Maybe necessarily, I don't know. Maybe spend it smartly. Maybe save it. Maybe start a new savings account. Maybe find a new investment opportunity. I I hate the politics of herding people into groups and then setting those groups against one another. And I think that's what the Day Without Women movement really is. I, I think it's it's divisive and unfortunate. We are all more than the, the demographics than that we fall into. You know, we're we're more than, than men, we're more than women, we are individuals. You are not defined by your gender you are not defined by your race or your hair color or your religion or anything else those are all part of who you are but ultimately you are an individual and the best way to advance your interests is to advance your interests we're better off not acting as a group you're better off acting and pursuing your interests as an individual and i gotta tell you i mean showing up for work Jay Thomas Show, coming up next. You can catch me here Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m., or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Uh, Spuds Hockey in this segment, in this uh, this time slot tomorrow. Former Lieutenant Governor Drew Wrigley sitting in for me Friday, so we'll talk Monday. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.